I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Kathy Hackle, and welcome to Tech Magic, where you come for the tech and stay for the magic. In this podcast, we talk about everything that's happening in the technology space, gaming, VR, AR, AI, everything in between. Um, and I am joined by my amazing guest co-host, Lee Keebler. Hey, Lee, what's up? Hey, Good afternoon. Good morning. It depends on what side of the coast you're on. Um, yeah, evening was, oh. over here. Oh, that's <laughs> We're recording right, that's on right. Monday evening. So is yes. it evening over there? Okay, I just had lunch, so it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> it's evening over here, and I'm I'm ready to. Uh, after this, I'm going to go help my kids with homework. So yeah, they still have that. <laughs> they have, but it's like it's you're almost on Christmas break. How are you? Oh no no no. There's there's no yeah no. There's no stopping the homework homework train. Sometimes it like just keeps going. they get carried away at schools. I'll tell you, but. You, you just know. pump it into ChatGPT, let it do the homework for you. I mean, that's really the life lesson that they need to be learning at the end of the day. Did I say yeah. that loud? I don't Did think I say that? say that. I don't well, think I should say that loud. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking of writing an article on like how to talk to your children children about AI, not just ChatGPT, but in many different forms. Because mm. um, I do think, I, I, I mean, because I have like so many parents at school that reach out to me. Yeah. Asking me about the AI in Snapchat or like, you know, the chat, G- the chat GPT. That's what they say. <laughs> Tell me about the chat GPT. I'm like, just chat GPT. But, um, but yeah, I get a lot of questions. I get questions about social as well from parents, um, you know, and, and just, that's just a yeah. landfill though, like Ooh. landmines. It's just, that's, that's tricky. Yeah. You know, my, my parents were both school teachers. Um, so I grew up in public education system with public educators as, as parents. And I was talking to a teacher recently and asked her, um, you know, what do you do about chat GPT? And, and like, that's gotta be wrecking your, your, how do you, how do you do take home homework? What do you do there? And she, she gave the best answer. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but she gave the most insightful answer. And it was, she's converted all of her tests to oral exams. Mm-hmm. Because she's like, it's so much more important that students learn how to speak and learn how to speak in front of people. And that's the only way to know if it's actually in their brain. Doesn't matter if they can write it down on paper. It won't matter in the future if they can write it down on paper. They've got to be able to say it out loud. And I was just like, that is an insightful teacher. That's just one of those brilliant things that, you know, yeah, we have to change it up. Well, I think oral exams also allow the kids to practice delivering information, public speaking, which is hard for some people. Like, yeah, I love it. You like you do great, too. But it's hard for some folks. So I, I as a kid, you know. no, as a kid, I had a speech impediment real bad. Oh, I no, I wow. did. Um, and uh, I was not a I wasn't actually a public speaking person until college. Um, I 
I got involved from a technical standpoint. Our college had a, a radio, campus radio station, and so they had me come in and do campus radio. But I had quite a, a speaking uh, speech impediment for oh, wow. for a very long time, and That's I got really over it through radio. You know, through radio. Just, okay, yeah, so practice, through practice, yeah, through con- you know through technology in some ways, you got over oh, yeah. over this. Oh yeah. yeah, that is amazing. I would have never guessed because I've always been like. I want to be on stage. I want to talk to people yeah. like always super like storyteller expressive. Like that's been me my whole life. And my, my, uh, my youngest daughter is very much like that. She's yeah. like, dun, 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 dun. Right. Oh, I was that kid for sure. But I just, I had a weird speaking pattern and, and, and all of that. So yeah, it's, it, it, it was something that came out of having access to technology that could record my voice. Mm-hmm which was new back then to have like a computer being able to record audio back in the, you know, mid late nineties. Uh, that was, that was so new and it was such a huge benefit to me to actually get to where I am right now. So yeah, you mm-hmm. just never know where the technology fills those gaps and it's crazy. That's, that's super interesting. So in a, in a past life, when I used to be a journalist, like back in the day, uh, cause that's what I was when I came out of college, I was a, a TV journalist and did tons of TV in front of the camera and producing behind the camera and stuff. And I remember I was working uh, for a Spanish language television station in Atlanta and in Costa Rica, where my parents are from and where I'm from, you know, I'm, I'm Costa Rican American, but we don't roll our R's. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Which is very mm. strange for Latin American Spanish, right? But we don't roll our R's. We say, Carro. like we don't, we don't roll our R's. We just don't like, that's just right. how we do it. So I remember when I got hired by the Spanish, um, Spanish language uh, TV channel, you know, most of the people were from other countries, right? Costa Ricans are, it's a very small population. And I remember they would send me to language uh, speech classes to teach me, to have someone teach me roll my R's because it didn't, you know, for a lot of like the Spanish speaking viewers are like, why can't she roll her R's? Um, <laughs> it was very, very strange. Uh, but I remember like, I think if I would have had some you know, some use of technology to kind of hear that because I'm really good at listening to a language and repeating it. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at languages in that sense, but might maybe finding a way to hear myself or find a way to kind of roll my R's in some way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I still can't, I can't roll my R's. It's it does lead to a, like a kind of an interesting AI question of like, mm-hmm. as we seen, see 11, uh, 11 labs come up with yeah. better, more practical uses for speech uh, synthesis. If they're going to start being able to like, build a dictation differential between Spanish speaking languages that mm-hmm. do roll their R's and don't roll their R's. They're and then you R's. have, you know, or is it just going to have to kind of default to one for a little while? I don't know. Those type of, yeah. those are the things that I, that I, I stay up at night staring at the ceiling wondering about and I shouldn't be. Well, that's really interesting because <laughs> eventually, you know, are they going to have like English speaking with different, you know, the different, well, they have the, the, yeah, across, sure. across the U S right. Cause people have, you know, someone from New York talks differently than someone from Texas. And I've seen so, Australia, yeah. uh, Australian and English and, and uh, Irish and American. All of those are categories inside 11 labs. And it's, it's quite something to see them be able to break that down in their synthesis and become geographically appropriate, even though they're technically speaking all the same language. I do remember, and I think I shared this in our Slack, a story from a couple of months ago. Uh, people trying to confuse AI, like the voice AI, using Argentinian Spanish, which sounds sounds very different than like 
Spanish from sure. Spain or Spanish from Mexico or Costa Rica, like it's like, yeah, like it just sounds different. Sounds more like Italian in some ways. And I'm sure Argentinians <laughs> are going to love me saying that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to find that story. I'm going to put it in the notes because I think it was a really interesting story and it's aligned to what we're talking about. Um, I do want to kind of head into our first story which is huge news. And we're not going to spend too much time on this because I think it's being talked about across all media, Um, but it is pretty much the landmark moment that Europe agrees to a landmark AI regulation deal, you know, with, with this political agreement, which is massive and took them, you know, over like through the night, it took them a lot of hours and a lot of days for this to happen. But with this political agreement, the EU is moving towards becoming the first major world power to enact laws governing AI. Now you you know some some lazy politician ran this through <laughs> ChatGPT to write this, like right? No. <laughs> like, you no, know, what? No. I got a number of hours on this, and I it's it's close to the holidays. You know, we got to get this done. All right, just <laughs> let's let the let's AI have AI it. regulate itself. There you go. <laughs> let's put it through ChatGPT. But you know what? It's more than we've done. So hats off to them. You know, Thank kudos you. to the EU. I mean, I I think it's it's smart that they're they're finding some ways to to regulate and you know as much as some people hate that word um i do think you know as we need to have some type of you know temperature check checkpoint checkpoint something yeah like yeah if, if, if you if you hate the word regulate there's a chance you're doing something you shouldn't be doing um <laughs> now you can overregulate a hundred percent i i completely agree with that but if just the word itself cringes you a little bit that gives me pause because there's obviously a need to look at this, we have regulations in the U.S., and they are have they've been what have established the modern economy and a modern lifestyle that we have here. You start pulling all those things out, uh, all of a sudden, things get hairy. Like you just don't want to worry about that. And right now, with AI as genuinely uh, a threat to to actual employment for many people, mm-hmm. there's logical reason to start writing some rules quickly. Um, post I do agree we have to have something in place, right? I do feel like th- there are certain camps, especially like people in Silicon Valley or around Silicon Valley that are, you know, m- many, many of them are aligned with effects, effective accelerationism uh, that don't want, that want, you know, that don't want some t- any type of regulation. They just want to move forward really, really fast. Um, but I am, I'm kind of in the middle. Like I've always told you, like I'm in the middle yeah. here. Like I feel like I want technology to keep progressing fast, but I do believe in those checkpoints. So that for some people listening to this that are, you know, effective accelerationists, the word regulation is something that they, that they do not abide by or they do not want. If they can do it without leveraging other people's data, then by all means, but you don't have a say in it when you're not leveraging, when you're out there, like leveraging other people's data. If Mm -hmm. you've got to rely on other people, your accelerationism does not mean anything to me. Well if you said. can do it with your own data, do it. You know, like <laughs> well, that's, that's, <laughs> but that's the thing. A lot of these models are black boxes. We don't even know, you right. know, we can suspect some of them we know that are using, you know, training data on our own data or things that we wrote, et cetera. But then totally. you get into this whole copyright trade, you know, who owns the IP? I'll, I mean, which is, I think the courts are trying to figure out here in the US, but. You know, well, that's a bigger question a too, right? So, oh, and, yeah, I, and I'm yeah, thankful yeah. for it. And I hope someone can eventually qualify if AI can even make intellectual property. Well, originally there was a, a there was a case that said that it, yes, originally that you could copyright that. 
Um, and then there was something that said no. And then I think there was something in the course that was talking about can a- AI copyright its own material if AI is the one creating it, right? As an entity, AI as an entity. Um, then and you, I think you that's have to depend. establish it as an mm-hmm. actual accepted intellectual, right? Like at some, mm-hmm. cause you're talking about an intellectual property for IP. So, okay. I can accept a property, but if you want to qualify that as intellectual, then you are saying that this particular mm-hmm. machine has intellect. Has intellect. I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if I'm there or not. Right. Like that's such a hard well, thing to. Doesn't Sophia the robot have like citizenship in the Emirates? Or something like that. So I don't know. I mean, maybe she can copy or whatever she creates. <laughs> so it's it's she's yeah, got it's, citizenship somewhere in the world. I remember seeing that somewhere in the news. So you know, I, so that leads me into kind of th- this first story on uh, an article that came out in the New York Times recently, and we're going to include that in the notes. It says AI uh, using AI for talking to the dead, and I know you and I have talked about this in a bit. Like we've all definitely. You know, you and I have both thought about this. Chat GPT Ouija. <laughs> oh, no. I hadn't thought about that. Stiff as a board wizard. <laughs> There's like, yeah, no, no, no. Oh, my gosh. You know what? They should remake. Remember that movie, The Craft? It's just a bunch of kids sitting around a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> they should remake it's... The Craft in today's world. So it's Chat GPT Ouija, Ouija board. Um but yeah, do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, so yeah. they should remake that, that one, but, you know, with ChatGPT, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the, going back to the story. So in this New York Times um, article, they're talking about different people uh, using AI to to kind of, you know, recreate, um, you know, family members that have passed away mm-hmm. uh, using mm-hmm. companies like StoryFile, which many people have, you know, have have seen or some of their work. I think they were, I think, believe StoryFile worked with William Chatner on some stuff. Uh, here after AI as well. And they talked about several stories in it. Uh, a woman that had her father like um, scanned and he recorded a lot of things. And now he's passed away for almost a year. And whenever she's dealing with issues, uh, some really strong ones, she'll turn to that. Uh, she said she didn't do so much for herself. She did more for her children and grandchildren. Uh, there's also another story of uh, a person that got you know scanned and and did the whole AI thing uh, shortly before dying. And when they died, they actually had that, um, let's say, bot, let's call it that AI version of that person that had passed away at their uh, funeral service. And people, some people are really impressed and people are weirded out by it. That um, is strange. Maybe too soon, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that is one of the like earliest episodes of that TV show Upload yeah. on Amazon. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it, it depicts that in a very comical way. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the fact that there's still an open practice for that is, is super interesting. The way the whole idea of so for people who don't know, if you're utilizing GPT, you can tell you can tell it to take on the persona of fill in the blank and you can be as specific as you want. So you can say take on the persona of a high school 12th grade American literature English teacher and evaluate this five paragraph essay and let me know what you think. And it will just do that. But you can get really creative and more in depth into it and and actually pull out fictional characters and say, take on the persona of Dr. Frankenstein and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and see, you know, and read this five paragraph essay about the perspective of blah, 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 blah. And it would do that right um so you can get more and more creative with how you do this and to the point where to some level you can do it with actual human people if there's a lot of information like a william shakespeare 
um, who, who there's just enough information. There's enough of his works out there to, to take on that persona. Um, so it is an interesting approach. You're not getting a real intellectual insight to it, but it is so fascinating to be able to do that and kind of dig, dig a little bit deeper. Uh, my wife was working on a project over the weekend and it involved don't ask why it involved a document I from <laughs> the mid 1500s uh from from uh kent england and she was trying to read through this and this is written in old english oh wow yeah it's not an easy uh it's not an e- easy text to read uh, and she's like, can you make heads or tails of what this is saying? So I looked at it and I'm like, I can't read this. You can look at it and know it's English mm-hmm. and just scratch your head. I said, you know what? This is selectable text. Let's drop this into GPT and have it analyze it. So we just copied it in and I said, uh, read the following text and convert it to modern day English, which makes it easier to understand. And that's it. I just copied and pasted it in there. And it was the weirdest form of translation I've ever seen. It worked so well. It worked. That's it interesting. It worked incredibly well, mm-hmm. but it was still translating English to English, but it was making it functionally understandable. Um, so it's definitely and, trained and, in on, you know, something in the something in the the model is trained in old English, old English, right? At some it point, has to. yeah. It, it or it knows how to interpret whatever was being said and it was it was eye-opening because all of a sudden this fairly locked document that we had that we were trying to decipher was wide open. Um, and, and it would have taken weeks for me to go and kind of look at it line by line and go, what is, okay, what does this sentence mean? What does this one mean? What does this one mean? And then try to piece it all together. And it just popped out two paragraphs. I was like, Oh, that's what that meant. And then I could make the correlation. I could read the both. And I was like, Oh, well, yeah, obviously that's what they were saying. Was, See, that's where where these technologies, we just start to have those conversations of like good and bad, right? If you're using yeah. this to like have someone live on and maybe exploit that person in in, yeah. in in the postmortem, that's a negative one. But if you have it and you're using these technologies for historical preservation, mm-hmm. I've always been a huge proponent of that. And I'll give you an example. So when I worked at, volume, at the Volumetric Capture Studio here in the United States in, in DC, Avatar Dimension, um, I, I didn't get to do it, but I was going to have my dad scanned. I was going to have him scanned mm-hmm. reading Llama Llama Red Pajama, which is one of my kids' favorite books. <laughs> yes. Llama yes. Llama. Um, I wanted to get him scanned, right? It's very expensive. And I want to just do a short little bit of the book just to keep that forever for them, right? For memory. Um, we never got to do it. So maybe one day I'll get to do it with him. I would love to have that, that memory with him. So that's something that when I start to think about that, having my dad scanned, right, and keeping that memory, I remember some of the work that we did was around historical preservation. We had uh, a Native American tribe come and say, hey, can we do some scans of us doing one of our dances? Because a lot of the people are forgetting how to do it. And in order to perform a dance or even do a language, right, it's better to see it in 3D because you can see all the nuances of the dance and the turns or even language uh, you can see all the nuances of how to use your tongue and move your move your lips and your and your teeth. So I feel like some of these technologies with AI, with volumetric video, with spatial computing, when used correctly for historical mm-hmm. preservation and Unity, mm-hmm. for example, is a company that has been doing some really amazing work around this. I think are extremely totally. extremely powerful. 
Yeah, I was thinking in, there has to be a lot of data to back all this up. So, but you, there is enough data behind, say, like a Albert Einstein, right? Um, plenty of publications, plenty of information, plenty of like life, work, history. All of that stuff is available. Very public figure to recreate and take on the persona of. You're not going to get a one to one, you know. Um, but it is interesting because you can ask these questions. And the AI has done the back-end research, has access, access to back-end data that, for the little stuff that you would never think to include or even possibly even know about because mm -hmm. it's such an exhaustive amount of, of study of just like, well, what, what would they say in their work-life history w with their um, actual life balance and, and, you know, maybe family history and things like that? It, it's pretty wild. You know, we were working on this project and I was, that was what set me off to just leveraging the tool left and right. We had to come up with a genealogy that we were getting conflicting mm -hmm. data between two people with the same name. And I said, where's the family tree in this? Yeah. And sure enough, even it could pop out the family tree mm -hmm. that I was looking for. And it was like, oh, this person and this person share the same name mm -hmm. because they're cousins. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I'd have never found that. We're talking about people who were alive in the early 1500s. Wow. There's not a whole lot of like hand documentation on this, right? So I don't know. But the documentation that's out there, it's evidently gone through and processed. So I'm starting to feel old at this point <laughs> because I'm just blown away. But I am seriously looking at it going, I have no reason to use Google anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I do not know what Google does in this, this situation. Um, they've got to catch up and fast. Have you used Gemini? I have not. Did you used see Gemini. the announcements on Gemini? Like I haven't used yes. Gemini, but obviously, you know, there are news out there saying this is the chat GPT killer. Like I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I haven't demoed it and I haven't really dug into the news as much as most people with Gemini. I was busy last week when Gemini came out. Right. But there's, I think, a lot of, you know, a lot well, of Well, there were some questions about their demo being mm -hmm. maybe not completely on the up and up, which has happened in the past for other big tech companies. You know, sometimes you just kind of fake it till you make it because you got to do the show. Um, so I, we'll see. I'm just not ready to put the flame out on ChatGPT. Honestly, the biggest thing that's a disappointment with ChatGPT for me is its name. What a horrible, like as, as from someone a out of perspective, yes. from a branding perspective, I freaking hate that name. Um, I get Claude, it. Claude, Bard, you know, <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> Gemini, ChatGPT. Yeah. No one's using ChatGPT as a verb right now. Like, Let me ChatGPT that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just feels so weird. Um, yeah. So yeah, a little, little yeah. bit of branding marketing on, on, on the I, fringe I think there. it's purely tech people naming the product and oh, maybe 100%. the marketing people weren't there yet. Cause if it was like, yeah, marketing team would be like, no. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you would think that like maybe chat GPT could rename itself. Like oh, that should be the far first gone. Question. It's too late. <laughs> it's too far gone. But, um, I kind of, okay. So using AI for historical preservation. 100%. Future or fat? What? Uh, totally the future. Future and okay. the past. Future and the past. I love that. Yes. <laughs> it's. I think it's the future. It's the past. And it is the present as well. Yes. I think we're yes. doing a lot of work, Um. you know, a lot of a lot of us are doing interesting work around historical preservation. So. It's it's an informational time machine because you can ask it things from the past. You can ask it for predictions towards the future, and you can ask it for the current present goings on. Mm -hmm. Like it is a wild west scenario right now that 
as someone who lives and breathes it, I still wake up in the morning, try something different, and I'm shocked that it works. It's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I do think, you know, whoever did the craft, the movie, <laughs> call us. We'd be happy to work and help sure. you write the adaptation for, you know, <laughs> for I the mean, 2020s. We'll, <laughs> we'll just run it through ChatGPT to write the script. Yeah, but, yeah, right. yeah we'll put we'll our name on it. We'll write it with ChatGPT. <laughs> we'll write it together, right? Um, <laughs> okay. So moving on to our next story. Uh, and this will, we won't go too deep because we've talked about this for a bit, but Lego in Fortnite, huge success, amazing numbers. Everyone's talking about it. Good job, Epic Games, crushing it. I mean, I got so excited about that Lego announcement. The trailer for that was yeah. totally not directed towards kids. That I'll tell you what this is this combination of Fortnite and Lego is for the dads. It's for the dad. No, it really like I really. It's for the parents. It's for it's for the parents who who want to play video games with their kids. Yes, that's that's what this is because I I I said for the dads because I was talking to a friend of mine who who's a dad who's historically not let his children play Fortnite, and he was not about to change his mind. It was too violent. He he, they were they were they just weren't old enough for the whole like battle royale shooter game thing. Um, and I said, ah, take a look at this instead. And he looked at it and that eighties music pumped in and he's totally from that generation. He's like, Oh, this is different. I'm down for this. And I was like, Oh, that's what they've done. The, mm-hmm. And what great timing right before Christmas when everyone's got their time off and you've got kids home and you've got a couple of days and you can sit down and play, play, uh, video games with the with the kids yeah perfect timing i wish they had lego sets though but anyway perfect timing but all my kids yeah shocking that they don't i hope they do um but you know all my kids like plus all a lot of the games that they've been playing so talking uh talking tom gold run so my youngest one plays that they have running ads on the lego fortnite thing constantly so like we've seen the promos we've seen like she's like yeah and then my son and I were like, okay, let's play. We were going to play this weekend, but we got kind of busy and, you know, a lot of stuff. But I was like, yeah, give me, hand me the Switch. Let's play. Um, it's been it's been interesting, but I'm hearing a lot of parents saying, oh, this is cool because now we can play Fortnite with our kids. Yep. So introducing yep. them to this new, you know, to Fortnite, which is a game they enjoy. Um, I even, you know, I'm even saying like, it's like I'm, I have a squad now with my kids. <laughs> my new Fortnite squad are my kids. Uh, even though they think that's that's cringe. adorable though it's adorable, adorable for me but they're like mom don't say that that is don't. so cringe like no <laughs> mom you're not cool once again it's always like mom no you're not cool um but yeah like tons of ads in different games they're excited lots of you know i think yeah great time great time for the holidays play with your kids it's a great time and mm-hmm. it is a bad time to be uh uh Minecraft. I don't this just felt mm-hmm. like such a, a a go at the Minecraft player. Um it'll be very well, interesting. I think there's to, space for all of them, you know. If you're you? my kids younger, like Minecraft is good. Like my kids still pay you know, my kids play a lot of different games. Minecraft is still one of them. Definitely felt like a Minecraft attack. <laughs> I think people were expecting like more Roblox or something. I was like, no, Roblox is gonna be fine. Oh yeah. Roblox has so that. much in the pipeline right now yeah. with the concerts coming, uh, worlds coming. I mean, Cher is doing the special, like she just launched the Christmas album and she's doing the, something. Oh, I Roblox. miss this. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's all these amazing uh, holiday things happening in, in, oh, in Roblox. So, you know, kudos mm-hmm. to, kudos to Epic Games, kudos to Roblox 
or doing amazing work. I do feel like this puts puts a little bit of pressure on Minecraft. I do agree with you uh, on doing more things because Minecraft's been something. very close to yeah. working with companies and brands. And they've done a few things, but it's been very close. Very hard to talk to anyone at Mojang uh, within Microsoft yeah. um, for any type of activation. I remember trying. It's been really... I mean, I had a friend from a big record label and I was trying to get him to talk to Mojang. Impossible. And like, yeah. this is top top talent record label people you know, but that puts a little, I think a little bit of pressure on them if they want to kind of keep up. That being said, Minecraft is healthy. Like from an educational standpoint, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. Good. For sure, for sure. Good. So um, let's see. Lego and Fortnite fad. Or oh, the Lego, the Lego, you can't, nothing with Lego in it is a fad. <laughs> like that's, Lego, Lego is forever. Like, Lego is forever. I love that. It's like the, a tattoo. Lego is yeah. forever. <laughs> the, those little bricks are going to outlive us all. Like they're just whatever they're made out of mm. doesn't go away. <laughs> I agree. So okay, that's awesome. Uh, now we're going to go to our third and last story before we go to interviews. Uh, okay, tis the season for VR. Yes, Amazing. I was shocked. I love VR. I'm a huge VR uh, addict. I've been in this VR. I've got a virtual boy from Nintendo circa 1995. That wow. is an OG original from when I was a kid. I'm That's still surprised. School. That's like I'm old, old school. Oh yeah. 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 I got vision problems because of that That's thing. Crazy. Like it's just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, DK one is old school, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, Yep. Ooh, that's crazy. Um, okay, so the reason we're talking about Tis the Season for VR uh, is because there was a story in, I believe it was CNET? I can't remember right now, but uh, that talked about how uh, VR, uh, VR, VR headsets outsold the AirPods during Black Friday. Shocking. Shocking. I I'm was... not shocked, I'll be honest. There, there's a new iPhone. We're, we're in a year of a new, we have a whole new iPhone series. We've had a full iOS update. Um, there's so you've got a whole new gen of hardware. You've got an iOS update. You, these are synonymous with uh, with that hardware, and it's it's a stocking stuffer size, right? Like for the holidays, and it's significantly cheaper than uh, a VR headset, and yet the Quest did it and it wasn't just the quest three they saw the boost in the quest two as well so there this was the part that we've not seen meta do before it's Mm -hmm. always been new hardware comes out and then they pretty quickly retire the the previous generation they didn't do that this time the quest three and the quest two are both in production I had a lot of like parents reach out to me during right before Black Friday asking me, oh, we saw they, they saw the Quest 2 on sale. And they're like, should yeah. I get this for my kid? And a lot of people did because they didn't want to buy the Quest 3 or some people. A lot of people did buy the Quest 3, though. But um, yeah, so this is from CDNet, uh, Amazon Black Friday 2023 sales numbers. Um, yeah, VR headsets outsold AirPods. Uh, I'm not surprised in the sense that I feel like AirPods have a lot more competition you know, than mm-hmm. the VR headsets. And mm-hmm. I feel like every kid I know, like Christmas, like, what do you want? I want this. I want that. You know, I want V-Bucks or I want Ro- Robux yeah. and I want a VR headset. So, yeah. That's the part, you know, as I talk to people who come into our business um, and, and they still, I get the question of, well, what's the real adoption rate of of the hardware? And I said, it's not you. It's everyone younger than you. I don't really know anyone who is 
in the Gen Z to Gen Alpha um, era that don't want or already have a VR headset. It's been adopted. Um, it's just not a hundred percent of the millennials, and it's like almost less than Gen Gen X, and it's almost no uh, baby boomer generation, right? So it's just this weird slope slope that that comes through. Um, but it, it the adoption rate has been amazing fantastic yeah um, i mean and yeah. i still you know i still think we're we're a couple of years away from actually having something that people are going to use all day right now it's a gaming oh, totally. it's for gaming it's for working out it's for you know for maybe meditating or things it's the but, game but it's boy of thing. vr good point good point you know it's mm-hmm. it's portable it's not as good as having the full console experience like game boy mm-hmm. definitely didn't look like a super nintendo right so it's not as good as if it's hooked to your pc but it's good yeah um and and it's just kind of that era of like it's that bridging gap and i think a bit of that trough of disillusionment to <laughs> use use a bunch of like industry buzzwords all at once uh comes from people thinking they haven't seen an exponential increase in the technology, but we have, we just didn't see it where we thought everyone was expecting by 2024, we'll have photorealistic graphics. Well, no one wants your photorealistic graphics, but I remember those conversations. I remember watching people say that in Ted talks and me just scratching my head of like, I'd rather get rid of the tether, right? Yeah. I'd rather decrease the weight. I'd rather it be an all in one. I'd rather it do hand tracking. I all of these conversations that I wanted to see it do. And everyone was like, well, they were looking at the graphical and gameplay and, and speech recognition and eye tracking. And we do have headsets that do all of yeah. those things, but no one actually needs your eye tracking. Mm-hmm. I mean, the basic player, right? The basic player, um, like the teenagers that are getting this yeah. don't necessarily need the eye tracking no, unless you're doing no. something in training, then yes. Like there's, a I would need, argue, or if it, there's a like accessibility issue. Um, For the basic gamer, I would argue they don't need color pass through, right? Um, Unless we start pumping out better content, better mm -hmm. games that play in that augmented reality space, which is something that I think we're going to see in 2024. Yeah. So, um, you know, VR headsets under the tree, future or fad? Oh, I, they're already under those trees. You know, <laughs> I mean, we present. can see, we can see the number, right? Santa yeah. has gone through the Amazon wish list, has checked it twice. And it, it probably doesn't matter if you were naughty or nice. You probably got one. You're going to get your VR tree. headset. <laughs> you know, that's, and they've done such a good job of like still doing, you know what they've done that a lot of people haven't been doing is they, they still bundled the games mm-hmm. into it. So you get, their best game, Asgard's Wrath 2. It's supposed to be the best quality possible for this particular generation of headset. And it comes bundled. It's part of it. It's free. Like, they've done a great job with with connecting that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how others follow suit. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Well, yeah. I think I'm excited. You know, and I'm in a couple of years, maybe not next year, but in a couple of years, it'll be whatever the Vision Pro might be in the future. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll be under the tree on everyone's list. That's I was called. talking with someone uh, today and then they asked, what do, what do I think the two main technologies, like tangible mm-hmm. technologies, not digital technologies, but like tangible technology is going to be for, for 2024. And I said, it's going to be VR headsets. And, and I honestly think this in e-ink displays, I think we're going to see a big push in e-ink displays. Um, Elaborate. Tell, say more. 
with with watching, and I just got one. And I think that I'm, I'm a little like hardware biased because I've been so impressed with it. But like Kindle and Amazon mm-hmm. pushed with this idea of the the scribe, which yeah. was a ink, ink display you can write on. And then the Remarkable Two came out, and it's doing very well. And there's a third party that I'd have to go back and look up. They have a colored ink display, and I'm like, oh, I've not seen. Mm-hmm. Now you've got my attention, and as I've played with these technologies and I'm watching that little corner, I've always been a fan of Um, Mm e-ink and I've always thought it was underutilized. And honestly, if I could get a faster e-ink display cell phone, I would switch to an e-ink display cell phone tomorrow. I really, I really would. That's a big statement. Like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I I want my, if I want my content, I don't want it on a little screen. Good point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in, I, that's just my that two so cents. Easy to put in my purse. Like, it is. It big. is. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I would I would go for one. I would. You okay. know, it's, it's it's somewhere between the smartphone and the dumb phone lives like an e ink phone, and that's yeah. kind of what I want. <laughs> All right. So um, before we go to interview, I do want to share a few fun things, which I'm really proud about. Um, I am in Newsweek and Espanol this week on an article on thank you on Latinas working in AI. So I made the Newsweek Latina Latinas working in AI list. So um, thank you to Monica Talon for interviewing me for that. Um, so we'll share a link. Super proud and excited. Um, and yes, I am Latina. A lot of people for some reason because of the name, <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, yes, I am Latina. Um, and then excited, I'm heading to Munich uh, right after CES. Uh, for the DLD conference, I'm going to be one of the speakers there. Esther Dyson, nice. who's like a technology, you know, icon is going to be there. I love her. She's fantastic. Lots of really amazing speakers at DLD in Munich. Um, so I'll be there. Uh, excited about it. DLD is like one of the top tech conferences in Europe. Uh, yeah. And for those that listen to the Pivot podcast, um, that's where like uh, Prof, Gal- Prof G, Professor uh, Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher met. So I'm hoping that some, something serendipitous happens. And, um, you know, what I'll are, be on stage what will you DLD. be speaking on AI and spatial computing in the future of AI wearables. So, right. yeah. Are we, is this going to be able to be viewable to listeners? I if don't they know. Don't like I don't know. Like, I don't, it's my first time at DLD, so I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if they have a virtual ticket. They might have one. Um, but I don't know, but I'll be definitely sharing like snippets possibly on my socials awesome. after, but it's going to be, it's going to be, I'm debuting a new talk focused on AI and spatial computing. And obviously the future of, of the, you know, post-smartphone future, what might come next, what could replace it, et cetera. E-ink so. displays. We just, E-ink we just. Displays. There you go. Yeah, I need to add that to my lineup. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so for this week's interview, uh, we have Dr. Lydia Kostopoulos, who is an innovation consultant. She's also been working really hard and really, really focused on human performance. Uh, She and I have had fantastic conversations on longevity, emerging technology, and everything that's happening in that space. So that's coming up right after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Now I have my dear friend, Dr. Lydia Kostopoulos, joining me uh, for Tech Magic. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much, Kathy. I'm so happy to be here. I am so thrilled that you're here and we have lots to get through and talk about. Um, and you and I know each other personally. We've known each other for a while. Um, I think it's like through foresight and through like the defense industry in DC. I don't even know how we connected. Um, yes, it was right? defense VR or AR, something like yeah. that. Because <laughs> I live in DC. Most people don't know this, but I live in Washington, DC. And there is a sm- just very small component of my work that has been with the defense with the defense industry. So it's not something I do, you know, on a constant basis. Um, but that's kind of how you and I connected. And we actually met in person when I was in Edinburgh and uh met for coffee and everything, got to chatting. And I knew I had to have you on the podcast. So, you know, Dr. Christopoulos, can you please tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do, and we'll get into it. Sure. Um, I'm a strategy and emerging technologies advisor. I help my clients understand what emerging tech can do for them and their value proposition and uh, expand markets. I love that. And you're doing a lot of work across the globe. I know you do a lot of work in DC, but also like Middle East, like a lot of different countries right now. So it's, it's very, you have a very global perspective. I love that. Um, So in previous episodes of the podcast, we've talked about, you know, Movies wanting to wanting to use AI voices for actors. You know, in a in a recent episode, we talked about the Beatles' new song that's smashing records. <laughs> you know, it's twenty twenty three, and the Beatles are still smashing records, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> but how do you think that's a reflection of how emerging technology makes us think about death? Well, I think that we are definitely um, being challenged right now to revisit and reimagine what death looks like. But death is actually, our reimagining of it is actually happening at the same time as we are reimagining our longer lives and eternal lives. And so you've got the um, gene therapies, you know, trying to reverse age people. And then you've got, I guess, the death tech industry, um, which is looking how to immortalize people's consciousness or memories in different ways. And I think that each person deals with grief very differently. And so for some people, it'll work um, having a hologram of their parents. So for example, um, Kim Kardashian had a hologram of her dad gifted to her for um, a birthday. And then you've got uh, Robbie Williams' daughter who feels very disturbed by uh, the deep fakes of her father. And so different people have different reactions to these things. And and in Shanghai, there's um, funeral homes that offer an avatar service for the deceased. So like it's we are we are changing and evolving and leveraging tech and everybody is different. So I think we're exploring our differences in there, too. And I agree with you. I think my first article in 2020 for Forbes was about digital embalmers. Right. And like this idea of living you know, of like living beyond your physical self and then how, you know, death tech and everything that's happening in that space, which I find fascinating. I think it's a really interesting space. Um, but, you know, you, you're working, you mentioned you've working with a lot of companies to identify technology ethics. 
Um, you know, and I think that's super interesting. But what personal philosophy do you use to help guide these clients in such a, in a moment in time where we're talking about the Beatles coming back? We're talking about, you know, a funeral home that for Avatar services. What is the personal philosophy that you have here? So I first start with the same question all the time, which is, what are you in the business of doing? And I ask that because I have, um, for example, this one client said to me, all right, I want AI. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do with it? And he's like, I don't know, but I, I, I know I need it. And I'm like, no, 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 this is not how this works. You have to first start with what are you in the business of doing? And to um, kind of drive that point home, I give them the example of Kodak. And I say, you know, um, Kodak thought it was in the business of printing amazing quality pictures. But had it understood itself to be in the business of memory preservation, they would have NFTs at this point in time and a million other things. And so it's, it goes back to what are you in the business of doing? And then after we've established that part, then it's like, great, you know, um, where, where are you looking to grow? What are What is the value you want to deliver? And then, you know, getting into the technology and then the ethics part about like, okay, well, this tech potentially has an environmental implication. So for example, a few weeks ago, I was in London uh, giving a talk on AI and corporate social responsibility and talking about the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which I think are a fabulous framework for anybody um, who's interested in ethics just to kind of look at and um, place that within the ESG, the model that most people are familiar with. And people don't realize that um, data centers and AI require a lot of water, but we live in a water scarce world right now. And so people are going to have to think differently about what data centers they're using, that um, whole kind of compliance part and effect on the environment. And then when it comes to, for example, the social part, and in this example, so the AI, thinking about like the implications of deep fakes, the implications of um, misinformation, disinformation. I really like the fact that um, actress Kate Winslet did a film with her actual daughter, actually, um, on what it's like for a parent to be dealing with a teenager who has been um, sucked into the world of social media and is depressed and potentially suicidal. And this is a real problem that people face. And I think that that organizations and entities that are working around that space need to um, step up and, and take part in the responsibility piece of that. And then finally, in the governance part, uh, technological unemployment, people don't realize like, oh, we're going to incorporate this tech and then we're just going to lay off tons of people. And there's so many ways, and this is the fallacies that people think that they lay off people because people are complicated and then they're going to make more money. And it's like, <clears throat> no, no, um, you can have your people and then make more money. And AT&T is a perfect example of just um, upskilling um, people to do that. Well, yeah. And eventually, if you lay everyone off, like, how are they going to buy services that you're like? How, yeah, I had that conversation the other day. I'm like, yeah, I mean, the companies respond to the shareholders and the shareholders want to see growth every every quarter. But if eventually no one's buying the service because everyone's replaced by AI, then how does this loop work? Because it does. It doesn't. Right. So I think that there's that realization. Um, you know, you, you bring bring up this good point about social media and, and AI and everything that's happening. So, you know, the last 13 years, you know, social media has shown us that, you know, algor algorithms, you know, can definitely divide us. They can put into put us into bubbles. How do you see algorithms, you know, potentially bring us bring us back together, especially when it comes to maybe love and personal relationships? Is there is there a positive aspect here? 
I think that with the epidemic of loneliness, that question is is dear to many people's hearts. And um, my first thing would be the same thing, you know, when it comes to the business side, you know, what are you in the business of doing? I think on the flip side, when it comes to us individually, it's um, we need to find our first. So we need to step back from the churn of social media, the churn of our, our busy calendars and say, well, who am I? Who is the person I want to become? Who is the person I actually, because sometimes we don't realize and we've become a person that we didn't really want to be. And so I think that we need to spend time like delving into ourselves and saying, what are the communities I want to be a part of? And I think that the algorithms have pushed us into bubbles, but that was kind of like the first version. The newer version that we're seeing is where people are seeking out niche communities, whether they find them in groups on social media or whether they're creating them on by themselves in, in small private networks, but people are looking for that meaning. And that meaning comes from... Um, the identities that we have about ourselves, um, who, again, like I said, who we want to be and become, our hobbies, our interests, um, those things help us connect more meaningfully. I love that. I think it's incredibly important in today's, you know, in the moment we're living through today with this so much loneliness, right? And in, 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 in this kind of divided world that we live in. Um, you know, what is your philosophical advice? What what a philosophical advice can you give, you know, our audience, the people that are listening to Tech Magic, when it comes to using technology in their personal lives and with family and friends? Like, what is your advice to them? Because there is this moment of loneliness and we kind of tend to live inside our devices and sometimes ignore everyone around us if they're not on our, in our phone or something. Um, yeah, so that question isn't so simple. Um, the first thing, again, I would go to the, you know, dig deep into yourself and who you are and who you want to be, because that will dictate a little bit of how you want to spend your time and where you want to place your attention. After that's determined, then I think that we need to understand the boundaries that we need to have in place because technology can be all consuming. It can be so consuming to the point where we don't even have enough space between sleeping and our device and waking up and our device. And you'll um, discharged. I tend to do that, but I always tell myself, don't, don't. I'm like, but yeah, I fight with that a lot. I, I, I try so hard. I'm like, I want 30 minutes before bed, not to have any screens. Um, but the boundaries piece actually is more than just putting the phone physically away. The boundaries is really about the cybersecurity, the protecting your, your space and your privacy and understanding that when you post something, you are giving that away and that that will be used in so many ways that you can't imagine today and will never be able to imagine in the future. And that even with 30 seconds of somebody's voice, um, it can be recreated. And even with like the videos and all of that. And for parents, I think uh, parents need to think about their children and how their presence online could potentially uh, hurt them in the future. And there was this one awareness campaign that showed how a, a malicious actor could try to pretend that they've kidnapped um, a child of somebody. Separately from that, uh, it's been shown that the cognitive development of toddlers um, is inhibited when they are on the devices all the time. And so I do think that we need to have boundaries for our emotional and cognitive health, but also something that doesn't really get talked about is to have space for us to grow into new people because we need time to 
to explore ourselves away from everything else so that we can find the new chapters that we want in our life. And so I think that's kind of the philosophy part, part that I think of. I love that. I was actually right before interview, I was sitting outside, I was walking my dog. And for some reason, my dog just said, I'm just going to sit here. Like he was like, I'm not moving. And normally I would be like pulling him and like, let's go back into the house. But I took a moment, just sat down and watched the leaves fall. And it was one of those moments like, this is, I need to do more of this. This is what yeah. I need more of in my life and not be so like, oh, I need to make sure, you know, has any messages or checking Slack or, you know, on LinkedIn or working on this. And um, so, so definitely, definitely resonates with me. So um, I have another question. So the Sapien 2.0 game asked deep questions, like if a loved one uploaded their brain to the cloud, would you interact with it? Uh, and Amazon actually has a show called Upload um, about this very same, similar thing. I, I actually did some, uh, some advising when, right when they launched uh, on, you know, Ask a Futurist <laughs> about the show. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if you've watched it or not. I don't think that's relevant. It's more like, do you think that's where we're heading when we're thinking about this, the evolution of human relationships? And, you know, are we, are we going to be engaging with our, you know, our, our deceased and our future selves, even our future selves uploaded into, you know, an algorithm or even the brain uploaded to the cloud? Like, do you see that as something, you know, there's obviously Neuralink starting to do the trials, lots mm -hmm. of stuff, you know, um, happening in this space, but what are your thoughts around that? So um, when I made that game, Sapien 2.0, uh, it was 2018, 19, and um, I imagined um, kind of what's happening today, which is companies like Replica, where you can create an algorithm and be friends with it and hang out with it. And um, actually, one of my art pieces centers around this. It's called I Can Complete You, and it and it has a, a robot with this like heart and all of that. And the premise is, is that can a robot, an algorithmic um, conversational bot, replace human companionship um, and substitute it with this digital companionship? And what we've seen this year is yes, we have seen people uh, create these avatars and hang out with them. I remember reading somewhere, this one woman said that she went on vacation and took her Google home with her on vacation because she wanted to interact with it. Yeah. And so we are in the process of creating these relationships, whether we are yet at the point to be able to upload our brain uh, is a different story and time will tell, but the connectome project is one to look out for because if they neurologically map our minds, that is one step closer to being able to copy, um, what we've got. That's really interesting. So right after this interview, I'm heading over to Bethesda where the new uh, Pernuvo clinic is in DC to get a Pernuvo scan. It's like, like a full body MRI. And I was thinking about that, like, wow, the, we're not, I'm going to get my brain scanned in many, like all my organs. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that there's so many advancements here when it comes to technology and looking inside our brains mm -hmm. and thinking about our intelligence, both, you know, artificial, but also the power of of our brains and, and kind of what's happening there. So, um, you know, I, there's a term <laughs> that I think you can help bring some clarity to. So what is imagination performance? Is imagination more important with Gen, Gen AI right now? You know, it's not on the horizon, it's right here, right? With Gen AI making the impact it's making and can AI, AI can have hallucinations. Is that a form of imagination? Like, what are your thoughts around that? So imagination performance is dear to my heart because 
it's um, I'm really into human performance. And I thought, why don't we have imagination performance? And the premise around it is um, I was working with a client who asked me to do some futurist work. And um, so I presented a brief with some futurist 2030 ideas and 2030 is really not far away. Um, but the client just couldn't fathom uh, something so different. Um, and that in there made me think we really need to have some more imagination performance where we can feel more comfortable about potentially different futures because they're happening right before our eyes right now. I mean, in, in this year alone with generative AI, we've gone from not knowing in generative AI to, oh my gosh, I'm doing everything with it. And that has transformed us. And so um, when it comes to um, generative AI and our um, imagination, I think that when technology can do everything we want, What's left is what do you want? And you're going to have to be able, be able to answer that question and say, okay, well, what is it I want? And you need to have imagination because every single tool, product, fashion, anything you saw, it started from somebody's imagination who said, I want to make this and this is how I'm dreaming it. And then they eventually executed it and then it came out. Um, but it starts with imagination. And so um, I think that we can't use these tools to their fullest if we don't have that. I absolutely love that. And one last question, because I think you're very much into this space and you and I have talked about longevity. I know it's not the focus of this interview per se, but your thoughts around longevity, because it's such an interesting industry. It's an industry that I follow, you know, on the periphery. Like it's not something I'm fully involved in. I just keep a lot, you know, my eyes on it. I read whatever I can. Um, there's obviously a lot happening. There's the, um, is it the longevity Olympics? Or like, I don't know what they're called. Um, but what are your thoughts around longevity? Because I think it's such a fascinating place. And you you focus on imagination performance, but also physical performance in, in some of the things you do on a personal level. Absolutely. Um, so I started this project called uh, Project N of One because I have tons of data that I track on my body and my environment and all of that. And um, I was really curious about healthy aging protocols of other people because I have created my own and I just like I mentioned at the beginning of this um, conversation that, you know, everybody grieves differently. Well, everybody practices their health differently. And so I was curious. And so I started an interview series um, asking people about their healthy aging protocols. And it was absolutely fascinating to see that um, the way that we go about our health is really the way that we have grown up and our experiences and all of that. And the I think there's a social movement in this space of physical performance. And you can see that in celebrities that are looking uh, better and better as they age. And I think that that's going to trickle down into mainstream where more and more people um, are interested in like looking their best. I'll tell you this before you keep going. I literally just saw Demi Moore at the CFDA Awards and I was like blown away, blown away. I mean, I was like, wow, this woman is aging backwards. Literally the thought that came to mind. Well, I mean, and it's it's not just visually, you can um, be uh, very strong. So if you look at Jennifer Lopez, her stamina is incredible and, and her dancing. And so I think that there's a lot that we can do and we're looking at it differently. And so I think that's the, kind of like the next frontier. And there's a lot of science behind uh, what could be possible. But I think culturally, that's the important thing to watch out for, because culturally, it's starting to become far more interesting and intriguing and aspirational um, to hit that 50 marker and um, look you know, 35 and feel 35 and, and be able to have the energy of 35. That's so incredibly interesting. Um, 
Okay, so people that listen to this interview and find you fascinating, as fascinating as I do, because I think you're brilliant, um, how can they connect with you? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Well, um, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter or X and Instagram, um, but you can find me on lkcyber.com. Uh, it's got kind of all the, the many things that I do. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being on Tech Magic. Thank you for having me. All right. So that was a fantastic interview with Dr. Lydia Kostopoulos. So Lee, any thoughts? Do you want to live to 150? Oh God. We'll see how the next year goes. Um, <laughs> ask your AI. Can I ask ChatGPT? Does Lee Keeler wants to, want to live till 150? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I'd like to say yes. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yes. Yes. Okay. Sure. Let's spin the wheel and see what happens in the future. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of questionable problems that arise with that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You know, my my youngest, we're in the car this weekend, and she asked me, um, she asked me, she said, when, when I'm a grandma, she said, when she's a grandma, am I going to be around to see her grandbabies? And I mm. said, oh, honey, you know. I don't think so, but who knows, right? So I might be around as a hologram, who knows, right? But I, I really said, I don't think so, honey, but- But you your know, upload will be there. My upload right? might be there. I don't know. Um, <laughs> my hologram possibly? So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I do want to get that hologram, that volumetric video of my dad reading Llama Llama Red Pajama. I think yes. I, I think that that's- mm -hmm. To me, that's actually one of those mm -hmm. endearing use cases for the technology that I'd like to yeah. see kind of- become a little bit more accessible for people um just for historical yeah. purposes you know uh put a little projector and put it right you know there in front of people so they can capture those things and and have them forever yeah well i think that's where spatial video for example is going to be very powerful um in yeah, the apple vision yeah. pro right i think that's that's going to be a selling point i think for a lot of people that are not the tech but it was like one ourselves. of those that was one of those things that people kind of thought was a little creepy too. People don't like thinking about that type of stuff. You know, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard conversation to breathe. It's, it's a hard emotion to, you know, to process, you know, and then in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if I have that, then I can actually build like a projector into like my headstone and then I can just pop up at people when they come and visit. <laughs> Dia de los Muertos. They put your altar out there. It's like, ah, let me eat the food. Yum, yum, yum. Um, <laughs> anyway, we recently rewatched the book of the book of the dead, uh, book of the dead. Oh, I can't remember the name of the movie. And then Coco. And they're both about Dia de los yeah, Muertos. Yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. all right. So, uh, now we're going to go to Lily with her dispatch from the fringe. Lily, what's going on? Hey, Kathy and Lee, I have a story for you. In this week's dispatch from the fringe, doctors invent a new way to 3d print inside the human body. Okay, it's actually a team of researchers from Duke University and Harvard Medical School, but they've developed a new way to 3D print inside the human body using ultrasound waves and an injectable biocompatible ink. So what happens is you inject the ink and it reacts to a special ultrasound machine that hardens the ink, and that's how you get the 3D print. It's called DVAP. Deep Penetrating Acoustic Volumetric Printing. So sound waves are absorbed and increase the temperature to harden the ink. And any extra ink 
can be removed using a syringe. So far, this has only been tested out on a goat and a chicken, but they were able to address a bone defect inside the chicken's leg. So who knows what this will bring for people in the future. And that is your dispatch from the fringe. All right. Another week, another amazing dispatch from the fringe. Yeah. Do you, I know you love this segment, don't you, Lee? It's one of my favorites. You just yeah. don't know what's going to come from it. And and we sometimes get a, a hint, you know, mm-hmm. as, as these stories come through. And sometimes we don't. <laughs> and so... <laughs> We are left speechless. <laughs> oh, how funny. How funny. Well, another great week in the books. Um, Lee, thanks for joining me. Yes, and I hope that you have a fantastic holiday season. I do too. I hope you do too. And I know we're gonna we're still gonna have episodes dropping during the yeah. holidays, so oh, yeah. stay tuned. Uh, they might be pre-recorded, so they might not be necessarily uh, about uh, everything that's happening in the news, but we'll have some special episodes, hopefully. Hopefully, my hope is that we'll be able to do the Prince episode uh, that we've been promising uh, everyone, pre-record yes, that one. Yes, we can make, we can make that happen. So, I know. We should make that happen. I think that'd be a really good one. Uh, but you still have fresh content next week. Uh, I think just the last week of the year is the one we're going to... We're going to take a little break, the you know Christmas week in, in December. Not a break from the podcast, just pre-record a few little yeah. things for y'all. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here, Lee. And uh, thanks thank to everyone you. that's listening. I'm glad you guys are enjoying Tech Magic. Come for the tech, stay for the magic. And I think you should you can expect great things from Tech Magic in 2024. So uh, please subscribe, share, and once again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media with out the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.